welcome to uh, episode number... Uh, I forgot to write down the episode number. Where are we at? 55? No, 45? Anyways, it's some number of podcast episodes of the At You 2 show. And uh, we've got some awesome new folks, new to At You 2 and new to the podcast, both on the episode. And we're going to be talking about the Passengers album and debating for an hour and a half whether or not it's an actual U2 album so nothing else will happen <laughs> yeah it's episode 55 nothing else will happen but we'll, at the end of this episode we'll know definitively whether it's an actual U2 episode album <laughs> mixing up my metaphors on the uh, podcast if you're watching the video version uh, goodstuff.fm slash live we're actually just trying out a video stream with uh, five people myself included three of which are first timers to the podcast so I'm somewhere in the middle there, but uh, to my left, visually right, if you're watching us, is uh, Eric. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Is there a time? No. <laughs> well, thanks for Nicely having done. me, guys. Happy to be here. The newbie got uh, the reference, or the, the yeah, bringing in a reference. So, uh, in brief, I guess, can you tell the, the listeners where and how you first got into U2? Yeah, so you remember those Columbia House, like, send in a thing, you get 12 new CDs when you sign up. Uh, my parents did that. I had been in a car with some, like, older kids, and, and each of us in the family got to pick, like, one or two CDs. And I knew of the Joshua Tree. I was, like, 11. Um, so I said that. I got the Joshua Tree album, and uh, it's kind of just, you know, the rest is history from there. I became hooked. <laughs> Nice. So you're a Joshua tree baby, as it were. That's so. right. That's right. Um, and uh, do, I guess on as far as at you too, do you know what you're doing on the website? Right. So I'm, uh, I guess, a, primarily just a writer. Uh, so new. I wrote one piece so far. I got my first uh, semi-hate mail from my first piece. So I'm feeling, nice. uh, you know, kind of baptized by fire through that. So, yeah, that's good. And you stuck around, I guess you're... You didn't quit. No, it was actually, it was really nice. The whole thing was like, you wrote an amazing piece, but that last thing you wrote, I really hate it. So I can take that. <laughs> well, I've been told multiple times, or I guess it wasn't directed to me, but multiple people people have responded about the podcast saying, can you just get rid of the nervous laughter? And I don't know, I've never felt nervous on the podcast, but maybe it's my laughter that sounds like I'm nervous. So I guess I was ready to quit, but uh, here I am. Um, below me, visually anyways if you're watching is uh eric or not eric colin sorry we're still learning names here too <laughs> colin welcome to the show thank you thank and you welcome to at you too of course at youtube.com and so what was your introduction uh, I to YouTube? To, I, I forgot to say uh i'm oh. always and forever and now a fan of this album <laughs> awesome so i almost used that one so I'm glad <laughs> yeah, i know it's the ob- it's the obvious go-to <laughs> uh what was your introduction to you too and how did you uh find um them. probably the trailer for rattle and hum and then i was like okay that's coming out in a couple of months i should probably listen to some of u2's music because like that looks visually like a cool concert film so i got the joshua tree and uh became an instant fan right away um yeah. and thought oh okay that i can see why this would this band would make for an interesting concert film because just listening to this album uh it's epic you know it belongs on a big screen so nice so a couple of Joshua Tree folks. And uh, as far as at you 2 itself, what's your job? Uh, uh, contributing writer. Um, I've written two pieces already, both about uh, music videos in the Joshua Tree and then uh, another one for pop because they're you know both celebrating anniversaries. So basically the same article for both albums. Nice. 
And that's one common request from, uh, often requested anyways, for the podcast to somehow discuss some of the music video stuff. And so that's theoretically, I guess if this video works, um, this stuff works, we could do more video stuff, which it's kind of hard to do. We've ta- tried sort of talking about video stuff in the past. And it's hard to do when you don't have the video to show. <laughs> but uh, as I found out actually already, U2's management, uh, universal management, uh, slaps a pretty quick cease and desist on any uh, video that happens to have even a five-second clip of passengers even. <laughs> so the legal department really cares about passengers, <laughs> whether Larry does or not is up for debate. Uh, down my, whatever, bottom right of the video screen anyways, we'll go with that, is uh, Mr. Steve. Hello, Steve. Welcome to, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. You've been... Uh, I was going to introduce Zooming In zooming out <laughs> nice well done <laughs> if i could figure out how to control my camera i would have done that <laughs> right. we should have planned that i could have helped you in the cropping and stuff but uh yeah steve you've you've been a background supporting role uh, uh with uh, sherry but uh this is your your time to shine she absolutely yeah she's she's handed the um uh, <laughs> torch over to me and said um <laughs> passengers is your album this this was the um first album that came out after i became a fan i became a fan during the zuropa tour so the album was already out so the first opportunity i had to go to the store on the day the album came out was passengers wow so imagine queuing up a hmv right when it opens and they're like you want what So we got a true passenger, I guess, for, as it were. And Ian, welcome back to the show. Uh, Ian, you've been on a few episodes in the past. And uh, oh, actually, Steve, just so introduction to the folks, um, is there? Do you have an official role other than uh, spousal support? I do, I do just some some writing for the site. Um, I was I think originally my staff page said uh, photographer. Um, I don't know how that happened. I took <laughs> photographs and apparently became a photographer. That's, that's um, but main, mainly mainly writing these days. Nice. All right, and Ian, sorry to cut you off but go ahead what's your what's your introduction to passengers and where, where did you we, we've already got your youtube introduction i think in a previous episode but my position is just that this episode should have happened six episodes ago passengers is a youtube <laughs> album <laughs> I'm, I'm tolerating this episode i'm not accepting it compromise is not a dirty word ian uh, intransigence <laughs> is all around <laughs> uh, it could be a long episode folks so yeah. buckle in <laughs> there was a lot of debate amongst the uh at u2 staff and their slack about so uh, when we should include passengers and in, or when we should have included passengers i guess is the case maybe um and uh some listeners actually sent in so if you tweet out hashtag ask at u2 and there is the at u2 forum i forgot to actually post in it this time apologies to the forum folks um but uh folks tweeted about it uh, at Sharoff had tweeted saying i would enjoy hearing passengers discuss so you're in luck we are and at gman07 said that the first new youtube album i bought so like steve it was a bit weird but loved them for taking risks speech sequence leading into miss sarajevo and i think something got cut off maybe in the <laughs> translation but uh maybe that was a favorite sort of moment in this in the album and at Laren, aaron larson had asked who did the write-ups for the fictional movies in the liner notes which i think we'll get to in a second but for folks who are um interested and curious you can send in uh tweets using hashtag ask at you too and we'll get grabbed and uh included in future episodes so we have all sorts of things planned video discussions b-sides all kinds of things just watch the uh at you too twitter account for details generally and the forum as well when i get off my butt remember so 
if you if this is your first episode, just like Steve, uh, this is if uh, your first episode of the uh, YouTube podcast is the Passengers discussion. We did do a album by album dis- discography uh, discussion, starting way back in episode number thirty four. Good stuff. FM slash atu two slash thirty four with Boy, and worked our way through. Skipped over Passengers, much to Ian's dismay, and uh, I get to see him actually scowling at me this time instead of just. <laughs> hearing the scowl through the audio. Uh, and so we, in our, for a round table today, we're just going to dive right into the discussion of Passengers, which is one of those weird albums, as we're just kind of joking about, that is either like completely you love it and you seem to, it, you include it if you're listening to, you know, beginning to end with you 2 or it's one of those ones you maybe have never even picked up because it was just like you missed it on your U2 journey and for some reason just didn't bother. And maybe you heard Miss, you've heard Miss Sarajevo in concert, et cetera, but didn't, uh, really ever bothered to get too deep a dive. So maybe this will inspire you. Ian will either forcefully or nicely uh, inspire you to take a journey through passengers. So by way of a bit of introduction, we'll just do a quick uh, Wikipedia dump on you. Um, so it was near the end of uh, Zuropa's recording sessions in 1993 that the band kind of hit a air quotes according to Brian Eno Stonewall. And at, at that point, Eno suggested doing some improvising sessions, just turn the tape on and play, which kind of sounds like what YouTube does anyways. But anyways, uh, <laughs> and they were using a broad brush rather than the one hair brushes they'd been using is sort of how he decided or described it. The recordings were so fruitful that Eno had proposed more. And then yada, 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 album comes out <laughs> November of 95 and Miss Sarajevo was the first and only single if I've got that right and Wikipedia has that right we'll find out I guess so um I know there's a whole bunch more I, go ahead Ian I think your blue room was released as a promo single but it never as an official single all right there you go um Steve you had I you've got a, like a bunch of liner note stuff and sort of like interesting things facts about the the album written in here in our notes and maybe you want to jump off from that on what what you were yeah i mean the the album's uh a really um sort of strange album i was gonna i was thinking that the uh this this podcast probably more preparation went into the podcast than went into the album as a f- first for the youtube intentionally improvisational um but um you know the the liner notes which i've uh, got here are bizarre to read um you know, nice. this is supposedly a compilation <laughs> of the vinyl. Whoa! You know, supposedly a compi- compilation of songs for movies, except of fourteen tracks. Only some of them were actually on movies at the time the album was released. A couple of them got used for movies later on, but they decided to make up liner notes and describe the films that they were in regardless of whether they were in a movie or not. So that meant that somebody had to sit there. Um, and there's a little bit of a hint, if I can sort of zoom in on my screen here. The um, liner notes are credited to... Um, I'm not, I'm <laughs> ben, ben O'Ryan and CSJ Bofop, which is a... Um, this entire thing is full of anagrams and... Uh, Puzzle. So Ben O'Ryan is an anagram of Brian Eno, and CSJ Bofop is also Brian Eno, but it's add one to each of the letters. All right. So, <laughs> so yeah. Brian Eno and Brian Eno decided to just fill the space with um, random stuff, and it just makes it makes the whole album a really challenging um, question. It's, it's kind of like you know the sort of the 
you know, in, in the, when it came out, it was, it was the early days of the internet. And so there was no way of actually validating. You know, everybody was there hitting out a vista, trying to figure out, was there really a film uh, called, um, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. <laughs> Let's Go Native? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from the, yeah. The, the, the all these 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 movies that are listed here, you had no idea whether they were real. You just had to. It was kind of a sort of a test for how well you could fall for pranks. And you're like, oh wow, there's a character called um, uh, uh, Peter von Heineken. And I thought, that sounds interesting. You're like von Heineken, von Heineken. It's kind of like McGuinness, Paul McGuinness. All oh, right, there you go, von Heineken. And so it's all these little little things, and you you try to figure out. Then, but then in the middle of it, you've got um, you know Miss Sarajevo, and actual real liner notes for a real movie. And there's a couple of other ones in there that are you know real as well with the uh, Vim stuff. But um, it's just strange to have all of these um, you know liner notes that you never quite know whether they are real or not. It's kind of like you two at uh, their sort of playful best, I guess, and jumping off of all the imagery like we talked about on the Actong episode and Zuropa and stuff is kind of like a lot of inspiration maybe from that and then just letting loose with Eno's uh, help or push. And I think they want to keep these anagrams a secret because I, I discovered a bunch of them when I first got the album and I wrote to Propaganda and I, I said, I just want to tell Pihu San, Tanya McLeod, Lurleen Kluman, and Ben O'Ryan that I really love Passengers. And I put the names in parentheses after, you know, the anagrams, and they took those out. So they didn't want to know that Pihu San meant Paul Hewson and Lurleen Kluman is Lawrence Mullen and all that. They wanted that out, but they left the, less, the rest of the letter in. So if you, if you get uh, propaganda issue number 24, you can see my letter. Nice. I was very happy about that. And a picture of me as Macfisto, which is also cool. So, wow. <laughs> on that same page. You've, I think you've tweeted that out or something, right? I remember you. I that. said that in one of our little forums. I okay. Think, but yeah. yeah. If, if there's a link for that and people, you're comfortable sharing it publicly anyways, we'll include that in the show notes <laughs> so you can, people can see that. Cause yeah, it's uh, worth, worth checking out. So. But, this is this is one of the things I think that's interesting about the band. It takes them two years to do a creative, imaginative, like ambitious album like this, and it takes them three or four years, or maybe even five years, to do a serious, straightforward, no details, <laughs> no snaz album like yeah. Atomic Bomb that, or whatever. See it's, what you can accomplish when Larry is interesting. Isn't, uh... It's interesting. <laughs> well, you think about it back then when, when this album came out in 95, there was this, you know, in the summer of 95, there was the whole expect nothing campaign where they were basically saying, you know, oh. don't expect to come out with oh. an album. Nice. <laughs> Colin's got the shirt even. Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And there was just this, uh, you know, it, back then you two waiting two years to, um, uh, you know, release an album. It seemed like a, an eternity. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it was less, less years between, um, uh, Zuropa and pop. If you skip over passengers, than it was between some of these more recent albums. So, you know, for them to have passengers in the middle of, you know, that's that creative period, you know, don't you dare skip how. over passengers. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just still feeding off the energy of Zoo TV and and that whole experience. I mean, there's you know uh, just so much, so many interesting 
soundscapes in this album that are you know feel like they're left over from uh Octum baby and and zuropa and i know in the uh propaganda issue that was devoted to passengers they talked a lot about how you know when they were at zoo tv uh or the zoo tv the last stop was in tokyo and that's what really sort of got their imaginations going was being in tokyo for that last stop of the tour and that's that fueled a lot of the ideas for this album well, it's just, it's so nice to hear them, you know, we, with the U2 album, there's always either the pressure of time or the pressure of the expectation. And so that expect nothing thing is, is really great. Be- and for me, I love this album because it's, it's these guys without either of those pressures, no pressure for time. And when you find out they can actually do things with, with a relatively speedy amount of time, I mean, not speedy, but they were relaxed. Um, and no pressure to have an expectation that it be a U2 album. And that um, I'd like to see more of that, honestly. I know that's uh, that's kind of the the benefit of it, not having the U2 name, of course, is that 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 pressure is, is lifted. Yeah, and it's like, well, I think Colin was saying in the mix there earlier of like having Larry being presumably less involved too. <laughs> Maybe it allows them to relax a little bit, but who knows what the exact makeup of uh, all that kind of stuff is and how but much some amazing drum options on this yeah uh, mm-hmm. you think you'd have a heyday i know and it, it would just whether how much electronic stuff and it was kind of like the maybe at the early days of that whereas now he might be a little more inclined to partake in that because he sort of sees and they've used a lot more they're open to more sequencers and all that kind of stuff and they have you know terry under the stage and stuff and a little more flexible maybe and uh smiling a little more maybe but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's not being injected with bull's blood anymore, so he doesn't have that virility and that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, by <laughs> that uh, transition, anyways, we'll, uh, we're going to go into the song by song discussion of the album. And it's funny because, like, I was putting together clips as I do for each of these, uh, just sort of twenty second or so clips, just to stay under the uh, legal, hopefully on the audio side. Anyways, don't sue us, you two. Um, uh, and it's hard to like unless you're a hardcore fan of passengers, a lot of the songs kind of don't sound there's, they have a, you don't, they're not identifiable, I guess, to the casual fan anyway. So, um, but that's why we've got these four gentlemen on the episode here, not including myself in that to uh, assist with the discussion. So up first is uh, United Colors uh, of Plutonium. Yeah, I always thought that the of plutonium end to the title gave it a bit more color. I thought at the time it was released when nuclear war and like nuclear weapons were a bit more of a concern than they are now, that it added a bit of flavor to the album, or to the lead song at least. And I like the sound of the song in that it feels like it's driving into a city it feels like it's entering a large cityscape um as was previously said the members were had finished the zuropa tour in japan and i can really see this song 
kind of leading into a large Japanese city with all the lights and signs and colors. And I also really kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's a guitar effect, but it sounds to me like a pterodactyl that's flying over. And at the end of it, you can hear it kind of like flying away. Um, and I don't know, for me, this, I mean, it's obviously an instrumental, but it's, it creates a really, really vivid image in my head. And I think it's a perfect intro to an album that's supposed to be weird and is supposed to be semi non U2 canon and is coming out of Zoropa and all the craziness of Zoo TV and is also obviously influenced by um, their experiences in Japan. It just seems like the perfect intro to the album. So we have you on record saying semi U2 canon. You're you're admitting there's a did, little did, bit of gray. But I did say U2 canon. I did say U2 canon. <laughs> That's what matters. That's what matters. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. we, like I said, we got to get to the episode, end of the episode and figure out whether it's actually a story. Go, Colin, was that you? That was- yeah. Um yeah, I, I, I think this is an interesting track. I mean, uh, it's got some, uh, it has actually an echo from the Joshua Tree a little bit. It's got the same drum effect at the beginning that you hear uh, in Mothers of the Disappeared, a sort of digitized drum effect mm-hmm. that you hear in that song. Um, thing about this, though, is it, it, that kind of bothers me is that, um, you know, Brian Eno is obviously a you know a huge force in their music and i'm a huge fan of of eno's production uh and what he brings to every album of not just you two but talking heads and david bowie and he always does a killer side one track one that you know it, it, his albums always start with something that really grabs your ears and really like you know introduces you to sounds and textures you've never heard before and i don't get that with this track which is kind of frustrating to me but um and it's also one of those songs that you keep having to adjust the volume while you hear it you know when it right. starts you're not quite sure you can hear what's what you're supposed to hear you have to turn it way up and then that pterodactyl sound comes in <laughs> you got to turn it back down because it's really loud um that being said i think it's a it's a like i i think ian sort of turned me around a little bit on it and uh i mean i I've, i i always liked it but i always wished it was a, a better track one for a Brian Eno record. Yeah. Fabiano in the chat room said, it looks like, or it sounds like a sound inside a Disney space mountain. So that's a, another reference point. It's, uh, <laughs> it's such a, such I, a song, sound to start the album with as well. You know I mean? You know, if you think you're com- coming off of any, anything that you could have possibly imagined from uh, Zoo TV, Zoo Ropa, and then you go straight into this song and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's jarring. Okay. This is, not, you know, what I'm used to he- hearing out of out of UT. You've just gotten used to the um, sort of the, you know the post acting baby um, sound of UT, and then this song comes along, and you realize, wow, there's a whole bunch more mileage that they can go in terms of the um, of the sound that they produce. It's a great, a great. It, it, it then, you know, makes the it, it, the rest of the album at least have you know may make sense i think if you'd have gone straight into sort of the more you know the next couple of songs are a little bit more um uh traditional i think if you just started off with it basically oh there were three songs and then they ran out of um pieces and they put all the b-sides on the um on the rest of the album so having this here makes you makes you realize okay this is intentional they're not um 
just filling space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just echoing what Steve said in the sense that it's a completely foreign sound. So you can tell from the start, it's not going to be your normal U2 album. Um, as it builds, it does have a slow build. And near the end, we, we kind of finally get... Um, a, a guitar, you know, you get Edge coming in with a guitar that sounds kind of like U2 and, and you kind of get to, into a little bit of a familiar territory um, where it starts to feel a little bit recognizable, but it is just something where they're just trying to say, I think this is not what you are expecting. And also um, add to why is this called original soundtracks? This, this might be music that more is not necessarily a background, but not necessarily a melodic, you know, focused sort of a feel. Nice. Yeah. All right. We'll keep moving on to uh, track two now, uh, Slug. Not Don't want to be So this is my favorite song off the album. And Bono has a tendency with his lyrics to do lists where he'll repeat the same thing again and again, but make the end of whatever he's saying different every time. Like Hawk Moon, uh, like Desert Desert Needs Rain, like blah, 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 like blah, blah, blah. Just repeat it again and again. Like Miss Sarajevo, is there a time? Is there a time? Is there a time? He he does this semi-often with his lyrics, but this is my favorite instance of it. And I just like how it's just serene and clear and like a starry night. And he's just listing off all his flaws and all his concerns and all his interests and stuff like that. Um, to be honest, it's a, it, it was a personal song and this, this is going to sound really mundane, but I was just running one night. And it was clear and starry above. And I was listening to this song and it's just one of those instances where the song just clicks for you. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I always enjoyed the song, but that was what really drilled it in as my favorite song on the album. Just the song. I like that. He says like, I can't help that I'm a flirt and I don't want to see you hurt. There's just like little instances where he's admitting his flaws and admitting problems, it's not a perfect song, but it is just this beautiful, crystalline, clear song. Yeah, it, it almost feels like a um, <clears throat> like a, a leftover track from Octung Baby, like thematically, like those lyrics that you're talking about. You know, the the sort of character at the in the last few songs of Octung Baby, the 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 guy you know who who can't stay home and he's always you know having you know it's always out there and <clears throat> and uh his relationship suffering as a result um this feels like that kind of song that i mean it's it's kind of where the song uh it, it feels at home in that sort of world that they created on in, in that record and i like that there are uh that he's not writing and that's you know structured you know verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus kind of way i like that this is you know a a different sort of different kind of style for him um that we i i i I don't think i've heard as often but uh now that you mentioned hawk moon i guess he does do it that more often but well and then you go with like the fly 
it's no secret. It's no secret. It's right. no secret. That they, yeah. 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 I, I think this is such a gorgeous song. It's so beautiful. What's, what's interesting with it is just how, um, you know, the sort of the, um, you know, intentional um, sort of, I guess, lethargy. I'm trying to think of the right word to sort of describe this. You know, it's it, you know, it's not a typical Bono screaming into the um, into the mic. You know, really, you know, this is this. You know, you know it's sluggish. Like sort of, yeah, he's, he's, he's like he's had a couple drinks sitting. He has a lot more sing speak on this album for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the the counterpoint to the Zeropa sort of fat lady voice, and then the low baritone or whatever register kind of um, almost half mumbling voice. That I love those two extremes the most. I think with with Bono, I mean, it's streets and you know those are all great versions of Bono too. But <laughs> the sort of gravelly and then the higher stuff too, is, which you kind of get a lot of on this this album. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, your Blue Room. I like that this song fades in and it's a song already in progress. Um, you know, that doesn't always happen with the U2 song, but um, I just like that this is we're sort of dropped in in the middle of it already. Um, and I thought this was, uh, well, first of all, this is one of the songs that is in a legitimate film that is, you know, one of the legitimate films that's in the liner notes is Beyond the Clouds, which is. Um, a film directed by Michelangelo Antonioni and then I guess finished by Vim Vendors. Um, I've not seen the film. I tried to track it down before the podcast and uh, it's a little expensive. It's kind of hard to find. Um, John Malkovich is in it. Um, Yeah. Uh, But, uh, and so I'm really curious to see how this song is used. I hear, I I read that it's used at the very end of the film. Um, I thought this was a, a, a real treat hearing this on the 360 tour and, and was shocked that they actually did it. Um, and, uh, you know, when they, uh, released the track, uh, on the 360 edges picks or one of those discs that they put out for the fan club, they had one with the Sinead O'Connor doing the falsetto voice. And that's just like, man, I wish I could hear that. I'd love to trade that, put that on the album you know, instead of Bono's falsetto, like hearing Sinead O'Connor doing that is just sublime. Um, and, you know, it's the, having the astronaut Frank DeWin doing Adam's part on the 360 tour uh, is just one of the big highlights of that tour for me. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a fan of this song too, much in the same way of Slug. I, I think these are two just really beautiful songs that I can't imagine really hearing on a U2 record, but um yeah, I kind of wish they'd do more of this kind of thing. Yeah, this yeah, is this uh, definitely one. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, this is one of my favorites as well. And that moment, um, I remember when they had the vote on U2.com for what to include in the U2 uh, 360. And I was bummed when it didn't make it. There was a bunch of them. And then, of course, all of the next 15 made it onto Edge's picks the next year. So that was, that was nice. Um, but the, I mean the theme and the imagery of the song, 
you know, about, about intimacy, that kind of mature take on intimacy. Um, on 360, I love that they were able to add a whole new meaning to the song when they had the, you know, the space aspect to it of this, the, the blue room is the intimacy of, you know, this earth and the humankind, you know, kind of having this conversation with itself or of the astronaut, you know, up in the, in the space station, kind of in his own little blue room. And the, the imagery of that was so perfect for the 360 tour and kind of that space theme. Um, so that was definitely a real treat. And I love how it kind of added another layer of depth to the song. Yeah, um, for me, it seems like it's the one song that could truly fit on Zuropa. This is the song that connects Zuropa to this album. And yeah, I also love listening to the Sinead O'Connor version. When she starts singing, there's just elect- this electricity that comes to the song. But I was listening, I listened to it like four or five times over and over again earlier today, just preparing for this episode. And um, as much as I do like the DeWin bit at the end, when they switch from DeWin to the intro to, uh, oh, I forget his name. Um, Gabby Gifford's husband doing the intro to Beautiful Day. I think that was a cooler thing for the 360 tour than the end of this. <laughs> I got to be honest. That's well, and he was also included in uh, in a little while, right? They Mark did, Gifford. Uh, Mark was, Gifford. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yep. The um, at, but when I remember when the album came out, everybody going nuts about the fact that Adam would, had a um, quote unquote singing. <laughs> Um, role on a U2 album. This was uh, this was yes. this was big news. Uh, even if it, even if the liner notes describe it as narration, yeah, um, <laughs> that's more accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we've heard him sing, and yeah, we don't need him to do that again. <laughs> He's a great narrator. Yeah, <laughs> he narrates the best U2 songs. That's yes. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that too, of like just kind of connecting, hearing it. I don't remember the order of when I heard or learned that it was Adam and, and all that kind of stuff, but just hearing it and thinking like, who is that voice and what what's uh, what are they doing on the YouTube record, first of all, and then, you know, connecting the dots that it was actually Adam. So, And two rope in the chat room says, hey, Adam's voice isn't terrible, <laughs> which I don't think we said it was terrible, just said he's a better narrator than he's a singer. So anyway. Um, but now you've given me an idea that like, the fan club could release a U2 uh, special edition, just Adam narrating U2 songs. Like, you could do Love Comes Tumbling, <laughs> Lemon, and Mysterious Ways. It, it, commentary I'm, track. Yeah, in his bathrobe. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. An audio book, yeah. <laughs> yeah I could she definitely... wore Lemon to color in the cool day night. <laughs> Sing through in the sunlight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I don't want to even want to know if that already exists in some uh, Adam fan club section of the internet that <laughs> has other images with Adam. Don't take too deep. Yeah, exactly. We don't go there on the podcast. That's another podcast. All right. So always forever now. When the before the Passengers album came out, I had read an article in Rolling Stone that U2's new album was called Always Forever Now. And so, like, I was anticipating a a U2 record called Always Forever Now. Um, 
but of course that turned out to just be passengers. Um, this movie or this song was used in uh, Michael Mann's movie Heat uh, with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, Al Pacino and Val Kilmer. Great, and it sounds like something you'd hear in a Michael Mann film. This is you know he's the guy who made Miami Vice and Thief, and you know he uh, uses a lot of music by Tangerine Dream and um, and this kind of sounds like an offshoot of that a little bit. Uh, I love well, that. Only, it's only, just... only 15 seconds of that song was used. And I remember I actually went right, out yeah. and rented the movie just so that I could. <laughs> get he the sat through all time. three hours of that <laughs> film just to hear that little 15 seconds. It's a great movie. Why would? Yeah. Anyway, this isn't a movie. Part Apparently now. there's a, a remixed version of it on the heat soundtrack. That sounds a little different. I haven't heard that yet, but uh, mm. apparently that's out there. Um, but I love that. It's just like, it's really just one bass note. And everything really centers around that bass note. Um, you know, it's just, and, and Bono's voice saying always forever now is just, it's basically Bono's voice is just being used as another instrument. He could be saying anything there and it would have the same effect. Um, it's just, you know, it's all, uh, I, I just love that it's just this really pounding rhythm and this uh, really sort of angelic little swirls going around it. Um, I think this is a great, a really well-produced uh, piece of a- action movie music, which I think is how it was used, but it's a, it's a, it's a darn good, good one for that. Yeah. At U2 War 40 had, uh, and then uh, whoever was going to go next call or something is uh, at U2 War 40 had said, I love always forever. Now such a raw groove that shows us some early pop leanings, which is an interesting way of looking at it. So does anybody else have comments on always forever? Well, you could actually say that probably about a lot of the album, the early pop leanings, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, as far as the visual of the the jet, the Tokyo trip, this one more than any of the others really, uh, for me, just represents movement. You can imagine you're on like a bullet train in Tokyo, moving along with like this scenery, this very urban scenery going past the window, and you know near the end it kind of switches to double time and goes even faster. Um, and this for me is yeah the hard sort of that Japanese theme of, of the whole album. I kind of feel it on this. Of course there's, you know, there's there's more to come on that on that front. But yeah, the the uh it makes me want I I was listening today to the album and just on like, you know, some crappy Bluetooth speakers while we were making supper and and stuff. And it kind of made I was sitting with we were eating supper with our kids and this first four tracks were coming and I was just kind of like had it in the background so I could just get reference points again or whatever for the music. And my wife was like, it kind of feels like a bit tense in here because <laughs> of the music just kind of like we're all like feeling anxious like we're moving like we're going somewhere we're like just sit down and eat your supper kids but uh yeah <laughs> so we eventually just paused it because and i used it for dishwashing music instead which isn't you know action movie this or whole album will be album that will definitely uh result in my wife saying turn that off i can't <laughs> handle it this is just stressing me out right now <laughs> this is that kind of album the whole thing yeah <laughs> all right well we have that in common anyways there's maybe <laughs> go ahead yes yeah. One comment. Henry Rollins is probably one of the most vocal haters of U2 and all the celebrities that are out there. But he was in heat and the song was in heat. And somehow that makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, he was in heat. But okay, Uh, different kind of blues next track. Different kind of blue. It's one of those clips, songs that was hard to get a good clip from. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Eric. 
<laughs> that one makes you know that's a, that's a good clip that makes a lot of sense yeah so i mean this is kind of um one of the songs that definitely uh, brian Eno owns it's his vocals um i found and uh i'm not sure if it was in the the notes for the show but i found the diary that he wrote for he wrote a diary for this year that was published when he worked on this album and there's some interesting tidbits that give you kind of the idea of how it how it feels to record with you two at least during this period through his his unfiltered uh, diary notes and on this one he said that he just came home uh, or he arrived at the studio after taking the train with this sort of thoughtfully processed these lyrics and he wrote them out um so he definitely kind of owned this one it's very you know very simple uh, kind of a filtered electronic voice um you know, as you listen to the lyrics and read them, for me, it kind of gives the idea of a, you know, sort of a bird's eye view. In the liner notes, the, 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 what's the movie on this one? It's an ordinary day, something about moving into an apartment on the top floor. So it's definitely sort of looking down, um, uh, sort of imagery. Uh, but I just like it. It's really simple. Um, it's good, great to hear Brian Eno's voice. And it, uh, you know, that word blue comes up again. So I guess now it's like two, two, two titles with the word blue in it. So it, it gives me definitely with the, with the cover kind of this whole feeling of this dark sort of calm blue feeling for the entire album. And um, so I like that. I like the, the pace that they're willing to go with something like this. And this is obviously a reason why, uh, you know, is considered a fifth member for this uh, recording, especially he's given full reign on, you know, a song like this. Yeah, I think blue is the second, I mean, is the most mentioned color in U2 lyrics. There's both a blue sky, uh, a different kind of blue, your blue room in Miami, her eyes are swimming pool blue. Um, bought it to the cover of When the Stars Go Blue. I think, I think blue, is their favorite, blue is their favorite color. It's a nice um, segue. I mean, it, this, the song segues into the next song, into uh, Beach Secrets. Into so another uh, segue. It's kind of cool the way that it just sort of sort of fades away. You almost sort of feel yourself sort of, you know, the camera fading and you're actually there on a beach and you didn't realize you were on a beach. All right, let's go to Beach Sequence on that note. Just laughing so, yeah. at the uh, piano on that. It's, it's like three notes. So yeah, this song does two things for me. One, I love how it's a song that Bono is willing to shut up in. I mean, for a man who loves the sound of his own voice, he only says three words in it, and they're perfect, and they come at the perfect time. And in that, I think it's like, in certain ways, one of their best structured songs ever. Just, I mean, that just minimalist use of Bonnell's vocals. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about it. The other is, I'm pretty pale. I'm about as pale as it gets. Um, and this song still makes me want to be on a beach in a tropical <laughs> paradise with a daiquiri or something, <laughs> just sunbathing. This song just makes me want to be on that sand, on that crystal blue, clear ocean, just listening to the waves come in and come out um yeah if this song is looking to take the listener to a moment 
and to a scene, it does it perfectly. <laughs> I don't know, Ian. This one kind of seems like a rainy beach. <laughs> I was gonna say. I was gonna say I a, a beach at night. <laughs> oh. I was gonna say a beach at night uh, with the a full moon. That's kind of how I always pictured it because this is you know like a. They always said like passengers is kind of a. This is our nighttime record. You know, this is our late night chill out record. Um, so that yeah. But same thing. For sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, next track is uh, probably one of the most well-known, I would guess, uh, amongst YouTube fans or in general. And it was a single, like we said, uh, from the album Miss Sarajevo. Is there a time to make up? Is there a time to be a beauty queen? Is she gone? I think this is just one of the most sublime pieces of music ever recorded. <laughs> um, I just, I love this track so much. It just, I get choked up often when I hear it. Um, the, uh, I, I, I think the, the, the image of the, in the video from uh, Bill Carter's movie, Miss Sarajevo, which, which this was featured in Bill Carter made a, a half hour documentary for television called Miss Sarajevo about a beauty contest uh, that was taking place in Sarajevo, you know, war torn Sarajevo, you know, during the whole ethnic cleansing. And um, the documentary focused a lot on just the citizens who were carrying on, you know, in spite of all, you know, the, in spite of all these sniper bullets and grenades just flying around, like, you know, art and humanity and humor still went on. Uh, and, you know, they had a beauty contest, you know, in the basement of this building that was being, you know, all shot to hell. And, and they, you know, had this, this image of these, uh, you know, beauty contestants holding the sign saying, don't let them kill us, which is just the image of that just always sticks with me. It is. Uh, and, and I think one of the greatest, <laughs> um, album packages U2 has ever done. I know it's a weird segue, but um, the Passengers single, the the vinyl single, um, which comes with the, you know, you pull the vinyl out, it's like this little, you know, seven inch or whatever, and then inside is this poster of that image of, you know, the please don't let them kill us, um, which I would always, I want to get another copy of it and so I can get that image framed and, you know, blown up and put on my wall because there's just something about that image that's so powerful. And it just complements the song perfectly. Um, you know, and uh, it's, I, I love that it has, they have brought it back on two of their tours, uh, first with Vertigo and then again with uh, 360. I don't think they ever did it on, on Innocence and Experience, um, but. Uh, you know, I just, I think Bono loves to do it because he gets to just sort of flex those vocal muscles that he doesn't, you know, often get to flex when he does that, you know, Pavarotti high note, uh, and hearing the audience just cheer him on for that all the time for a song. They probably don't even know most of them, (laughs) but he hits that note and the audience loves it. And it's just, that's always been a big thrill for those two tours is that moment. When that came out, they when he when they first uh, debuted that song on the Vertigo tour, that was um, you know, like a a, a show. I mean, it was designed to be a showstopper, but nobody was 
expecting Bono to um, you know launch that strongly into the um, operatic uh, piece of it. It was it was a, it was you know something to behold. It's it's not even that they don't expect him to hit those notes. They don't even understand what he's saying, but because it's, it's in Italian, but it's still that impressive and it it for a song that is so intense and so heavy when he starts hitting those operatic notes and when Pavarotti hit those notes in the album version, it just kind of breaks the tension of the song and allows it to kind of just kind of exhale to the end of the song. Um, and yeah, it's, it's one of the most effective moments in a U2 song ever, in my opinion. That's uh, definitely high praise. The the uh, I was going to mention uh, Colin had mentioned earlier the Bill Carter thing. The his book Fools Rush In is definitely worth. Uh, and I see Tasula just joined the chat room, which thanks to Tasula for sending me a copy of it. But the, it's worth reading if you've never read it. I I hadn't read it. I hadn't it hadn't been on my radar. It was on my radar, but I hadn't read actually read it. And uh, it's regardless of the U two connection, which is you know in there, it's just a fascinating read and gives you way more I guess backstory to. Miss Sarajevo and uh, the, and the story that they're describing in the song even um, and just uh, obviously there's it's fun with the U2 connection in there as well and that you can sort of wait for and look forward to but uh, yeah grab it from the library or Amazon or wherever and uh, and give it a read so we should also mention um, I mean Luciano Pavarotti was relentless in getting in convincing U2 to re- write a song for him <laughs> I mean, he would call Bono's house every day and leave a message with whoever answered the phone or the voicemail. And he'd just say, tell God to call me back, you know, and uh, <laughs> it just would not stop. And finally, you know, Bono and Edge caved in and and wrote this little ditty. So, <laughs> Well, and if you if you can remember whenever the first time was that you heard it, it was it's such a it's it is kind of jarring what you said, Ian, I, about breaking attention is true, but it's also, or maybe that was steep, but it was, it is jarring to hear that the first time now that it's so such a normal thing. And, and you look forward to that moment in the song. It's, it's just such a surprise and uh, such a unique thing. And another great reason why this is a passenger's album, because they wouldn't have done that. And they very rarely feature guests on, you know, an original U2 album. Um, but this is definitely you know, I think of any of the songs, whether or not you think this is a U2 album or not, this song is a U2 song. They included it on the best of uh, 1990 to 2000. And Bono frequently mentions it as one of his favorite uh, to play, one of his favorite U2 songs ever. Uh, on that other best uh, U2 podcast, the U- Talking U2 to Me, um, he, he mentioned it as one of his top three U2 songs to mention of all time. Side note, I think we are overdue from the Scots to get another episode of that podcast. I don't know if anybody else has followed yes. that, but yes. I digress. I want to hear from them. We were this Except, close to having uh, what's his, not not the not the guy who was on Parks and Rec. I'm mixing up which Scott is which. But Adam Scott. Yeah, Adam Scott. Uh, no, no, sorry, not him. The other one. <laughs> Anyways, Scott this close to having them on the podcast, but then they kind of fizzled and probably got way more interested in money making ventures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. But I, I, it's I been a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's keep it moving. Uh, I, I'm going to mispronounce this one probably. Ito Okashi. Okashi. How do you say it? Somebody else. Okashi. There we go. Okashi. 
So I took one disastrous term of Japanese in college and it, it, it didn't end well, but I asked my instructor um, what this meant and it means something beautiful. And, but she said it was also in an old language. It wasn't in, I don't know exactly the term to use, a dialect that is used currently in Japan. It's an old style of speaking. And evidently they got Holly in as a guest vocalist for the song. And they just told her to just sing whatever comes to mind. She didn't have any lyrics written out in advance. Uh, she, this is just what she came out with on the spur of the moment. And I don't know, there's something about it I, that I really like it that it's an old style of singing, even though I don't personally understand it. I like that she went with that choice. And when you combine it with songs like Corpse and uh, One Minute Warning, um, I think it's a really good intro, a really good separation from the more standard U2-ness of the first portion of the album. This is kind of the transition into the, for lack of a better phrase, the full Japanese portion of the album, where you can like really see even if they're not representing it accurately, what it did to them and like how they want to express it in the album. Well, it's their experience. It's how they yeah. felt it. Colin, I thought you were, you were prepping some uh, visual aid there. It almost looked like I was you're... curious. What, yeah. I was curious when Ian was talking about um, what, uh, you know, that, that, that this was a perfect introduction to the next two songs. I was curious because I have the vinyl edition of Passengers and I was curious to see where did they separate, you know, side A from side B. And actually, uh, uh, Miss Sarajevo is the start of side B. So, right. um, yeah. So they, sure. cut out, they, cut out the, they put a cut between the rain of uh, Beach Sequence and then into Miss Sarajevo. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which is yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. I, 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 yeah, it's interesting that you said you you said it was rain. I always thought it sounded like just a chorus of people making Jiffy Pop, but uh, <laughs> um, that's what it sounded like to me. But I guess it is rain. <laughs> well, we're glad we cleared that up. Yeah, if, yeah. Nothing else. <laughs> we don't know if it's a YouTube album. Yeah. <laughs> Bonus points for having the vinyl of Passengers. That's uh, that's a whole another level. That's legitimate. Yeah. That's legit. You just need to track down that movie you didn't you didn't watch though. I uh, I think that's a few points docked against you yeah. until you can, you can get that. Quick hands up. Who has seen the Captive movie? I've never been able to find it. No, neither have I. Nobody. Yeah, nobody. No, so if, no hands somebody, somebody out there yeah. listening later or live or otherwise, uh, if you've seen it, uh, maybe tweet at us. Uh, hashtag ask at you too and uh, let us know if it's worth tra- actually tracking down just for... <laughs> so, yeah, we can hear it on the album if we need to. But <laughs> All right, so next one is uh, One Minute Warning. C. 
So this was used in the uh, anime classic Ghost in the Shell, which was just remade with uh, or Americanized and you know given the live action treatment with Scarlett Johansson, which was kind of the impetus for this episode. This is what finally got us to get going on on a Passengers episode. It's the closest <laughs> thing we'd ever come to it, having an occasion to do this. So. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I love this track. I think this is, uh, I, I, um, it's, it's a weird sort of, I mean, it sounds like anime. It sounds like, you know, that they recorded this in Tokyo. Um, and it's, I, I'm, I, the chorus part at the end, it sounds like edge and Eno sort of singing it together, which is an interesting combination. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what it sounds like to me. Um, and uh, I, th- th- what I was reading about it in the um, in the propaganda issue was, you know, it was started, you know, it was basically an, an Eno and Edge collaboration where, um, you know, Eno had thought what he had was a track, and then you know, Edge layered some a bunch of stuff on it, and then Eno later on did, and it just like the two of them together came up with this really um, sort of you know this track that's as little it's a little um it's i'm not sure what i'm trying to say but it's got like a cacophony to it um even though it's got this steady rhythm to it also um and i just uh it's a it's a weird song to get stuck in your head that's for sure and i had it stuck in my head for a few days because it it was my ipad was on my ipod was on shuffle and it came up randomly and it just like wouldn't leave my head after it was over but uh it's i i this has always always been one of my favorite tracks on this album it's the sound of jet lag it's the sound (laughs) of being completely jet lagged in uh in tokyo trying to figure out whether it's day or night and um you know, combined with that jet, I mean, the, just that, that sort of sound in the middle where it's just sort of chopped up audio sounds of, you know, of people, um, uh, you know, talking and you just, you know, you, it's, you, know, you could, you could, you could be, you could be, um, there could be the music, you could be the, 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 the PA announcement in, um, in, uh, Narita airport or something like that that you're listening to, you know, hearing that, yeah, that- um, hearing that play. That portion uh, on this track, especially kind of a computerized voice, um, is where U2 has sounded their most Radiohead, especially from sort of the Kid A area era um, than ever kind of in that track. Also, on, there's some parts, I think, on United Colors. There's various parts throughout this album, but they definitely have a, U- or a Radiohead sound years before Radiohead kind of created this sound. Not that I'm claiming that they're an influence there, but... Uh, um, this track especially, and I love the build towards, towards the singing at the, at the end of the track. Um, this one's a favorite as well. Yeah. A few thoughts. I've absolutely agreed with the Radiohead thought. Um, it, this album makes me kind of think like U2 was doing Radiohead, but a bit before Radiohead were doing Radiohead. And <laughs> um, regarding the uh, Ghost in the Shell movie, uh, avoid the live action one. It's atrocious. Go see the anime one; it's awesome. And um, I kind of wish the song was used for more than just closing credits, though, right? I mean, that—that's the kind of oh, unfortunate. I was just happy. It. I was just happy to have you two in that movie. I mean, it, that just makes me happy. Um, and then also, Colin, regarding your description of it, I kind of wonder if this is Larry's least favorite album, just because he evidently had the least to do in it. Hmm. 
I mean, it, it seems like most of the album occurred without the need for real drums. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Bono has said as much, uh, in, in the, uh, in the pop documentary, uh, he said that Larry hates it because he doesn't get to play the drums that much. And yeah, yeah so, I mean, that's was kind that, of a, was that the way around it happened. Was it, um, uh, he doesn't get to play the drums or he didn't want to. And so, okay. Well, he was, he, he had, <laughs> uh, he had health, he had, I think he had back yeah. problems or something, so he couldn't really do much. And then uh, they were, ha- he had his first kid at, during the recording sessions of this, so he just wasn't around that much for it. They needed to give him some Japanese taiko drums. I guess the bad back would would uh, restrain him from being able to do that. But you'll hog wild on that. Well, I, I do like one little audio piece of this track. Is I, I, just, I just thought a lot of the guitar sounds very unforgettable, fiery, especially the track, the unforgettable fire. Like it's got that exact quality, and I, I kind of like that throwback feel. That's that's something else I completely agree with. I've always thought that uh, the passenger soundtrack was the '90s answer to the unforgettable fire. And go. just as a side note, Ross Perry um, in our uh, Slack feed says that captive is available on YouTube. So yeah, I was going to watch the captive movie. He DM me YouTube. as well. And uh, we'll include a link in the show notes and uh, legal issues aside. If there is any, are, are we sure it's YouTube fans? Yeah. <laughs> are we sure it is that version of captive? There are so many movies called captive. We just got to <laughs> make sure that I, it came out in 1983. Yeah. I, I take Ross at his word. Yeah, Ross is a pretty okay. thorough guy, but uh, okay. yeah, your works. mileage may vary. No, <laughs> if it all of a sudden cuts out halfway through and shows you whatever else it might show you on YouTube, <laughs> right? Uh, we we make no claims to have actually watched it all, unless Ross has maybe. But uh, all right, it becomes PewDiePie. Ah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking of no <laughs> corpse, these ah. chains are way too long. <laughs> Y'all stole my thunder with all that Radiohead talk, because that's what I was going <laughs> to say here. Like, this is the best Tom York imitation ever. Uh, mm, I mean, this is definitely like Kid A era Radiohead <laughs> going on here. Uh, there's like no difference, um, except that Bono sounds a little, you know, sounds like Bono and not Tom York in just the sound of his voice. But he is definitely doing that Tom York drone uh, that sort of dragging out the words and not being very coherent while, you know, what sounds like, you know, Johnny Greenwood laying down a really complex music track in the background. Um so that's what this reminds me of. This is like, yeah, this is you two doing Radiohead Kid A before, you know, Kid A was even a concept. Um, so that that's that's all I really had to say about this one. So, I like it. So, um, you know, this is the Edge singing, right? Is it? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. I really, I swear to God, I had no idea. <laughs> No, so I mean, for me, this is like Edge has made the darkest songs in U2, like Wake Up Dead Man, and this song, and he did the Batman theme song, and he he's just got this kind of like sinister darkness. He also did in the Spider Man soundtrack Sinisterio, which is like a really kind of creepy sinister song, obviously going by the name. But yeah, I mean, Edge brings the darkest, creepiest, nastiest little bits to U2. <laughs> 
which which is something that I really I really appreciate. And I mean, he's he's like this pure soul, but he's got this just like creepiness that like leads into you songs now and then. The real Mephisto. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the song sounds like the soundtrack to a zombie movie. You know, so the chain you know, yeah, like change these chains are way too long. Hear my song. Yeah, or a prison movie. Just it to me, it just sounds like. Someone who's buried like miles underground, just trying to get out. This this this, this song, I this the, the liner notes for this this one, I, I have to um, have to read out. So, uh, Gian Nicolo's last film, Gibigiani, is also his most tautly argued. At just over ninety minutes long, it is certainly not as a huge canvas he used so devastatingly in Mirages, nineteen eighty four, four hours and twenty minutes, or Il Vento, nineteen eighty seven, five hours and nine minutes but in its comparatively modest ways, just as satisfying. Its title words used in Venice for a quixotic shard of light reflected onto the walls from canals and features only those images in a series of 10-minute sequences which are leaved over one another by means of slow dissolves. The film opens at real speed, but each sequence is about 15% slower than the one preceding it. So that the last 10-minute section is less than one-eighth real speed. The original film was silent, but the lengthy section of the, from it with this music was used as the title sequence to an Italian TV detective series, Il Pendolo, set in Venice. This is like movie description balderdash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, but the, thing, the thing that's funny with Warhol this is film. That, this, this whole bit of each sequence is 15% slower than the one preceding it. This sounds like the first one of those dank memes, you know, like the, these B-movie videos that you see on YouTube where it's the B-movie, but every time Bono sings, or every time The Edge sings, the movie speeds, slows down by 15%. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, this, this entire album is like the original either the original meme or the original of YouTube trolling its... Um, internet fan club <laughs> i want to hear adam narrate the liner notes actually is what would make an even better album i think but oh i would definitely resubscribe to the fan club for that <laughs> i think there's a whole section of youtube fans who would you know, pay good money to hear adam just read the dictionary all right so <laughs> let's go move on to elvis Eight america so of all the U2 songs that kind of those that style of rambly uh, talk sing random references sort of songs that exist like the ghost songs of experience or uh kind of a few of the songs from the second half of unforgettable fire which by the way is a great connection i hadn't thought of uh ian your your uh, especially with with elvis being mentioned um connection to unforgettable fire but of all those types of songs this one i actually like um uh this one has kind of a, an actual rhythm you can follow it has a theme that i can really hold on to and i just think it's clever um i don't hate the other one necessarily but this one i can get into um it's it's kind of got that sense of humor that is light, but there's a few touches of it throughout the album, um, and I think it really f- shows why they've kind of continued on that. It's kind of the the through line from Octoon Baby's Europa through 
um, passengers and pop as far as the themes of celebrity, fame, consumerism, um, through the prism of Ellis Presley and kind of this, this idea of, uh, you know, who ate who, um, that sort of, this sort of mutually destructive relationship between celebrity and the public, you know, they're sort of that pop sugar that we eat and rots our teeth. Uh, and they complain about, you know, having these lives that are, that are visible and, and, uh, just that line you played is great. I love it. Um, Elvis ate America before America ate him, um, kind of just is a great, uh, summation of the song and kind of some of those themes. So I really like that, uh, the imagery that they put forth and that they're doing something really different for you too. Yeah. At U2 War 40 in the, uh, sent us in, uh, their thought, <laughs> I think that Elvis song was an excuse exercise, sorry, not excuse exercise in Bono listening to himself. Scat. The song is what the skip button is for. <laughs> so the counterpoint, maybe. I saw that. <laughs> to I saw that. You know, a lot of the other songs like this, that is exactly what happened, but this one you can read through the lyrics and I, I, I feel like it's actually, they're following a theme and they're, you know, it's, it says something rather than just a random spattering of a scat. Yeah, I think there was another uh, tweet that was sent in from Pop Mart 1997 asking what is everyone's favorite track on Passengers that is not Missouri or Blue Room, assuming that those would be. And I think we've kind of each sort of said stuff and, and you you know people have asked to talk about certain songs first or whatever, which kind of leads me to assume other ones are your, some of your favorites. But um, this one for me was definitely the one I played the most of when I heard Passengers just because it was, I like that sort of fun Bono having a bit of a, a laugh with being a rock star even and and knowing that this isn't like his finest hour music or um, vocally I guess as far as like some great soaring epic song but but just having a bit of fun and sort of that um it reminds me of stuff work work he's done with say Gavin Friday on uh why is it escaping me the soundtrack for in the name of the, in the name of the father and and uh that kind of Billy Bula sound and and some of that kind of stuff that was going on there um and uh yeah and just as as soon as i put it on my wife recognized it right away she didn't recognize any of the other music and she's like oh yeah i remember you playing this non-stop back when it came out <laughs> so, which uh, she would be more in the youtube war 40s camp of uh skipping it i think but um i digress so anybody else with some uh elvis thoughts so f- for me this like is the song that cements this as being the 90s equivalent to the unforgettable fire unforgettable fire was about uh, some Japanese paintings of the bombings at Hiroshima. And this album is all about Japan. Um, Elvis Presley and America was just kind of this rambling, uh, slightly nonsensical. Some, like, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into the song. It felt like they just started playing a sort of homecoming backwards and just sent Bono to the studio to like sing over it. And this song there's a bit more thought into it, but I mean, you still have flood in the background going, Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. <laughs> and it's just Bono like rapping over it. And um, I thought that was edge saying yeah. Elvis. I always thought it was Howie B. I'm just kidding. Am I? <laughs> oh, it might be Howie B. I thought yeah. it was flood though. Could be. Um, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's just trolling you now. You know? <laughs> I've awakened a demon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it says um, how, how, yeah. Howie B was the call vocal on Elvis. Oh, okay. I win. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for this, for me, I mean, this the song, of the made up, so that may not be true. <laughs> right. This song is like much more structured than the eighties equivalent Elvis Presley and America, but it's also like much more cynical and much more dirty. And it drops an end bomb 
and it's just all the kind of dirty that the 80s YouTube version the equivalent of the song wouldn't be so for me this is like one of the key songs that connects Unforgettable Fire and Passengers yeah it's a really interesting connection you drew I'd never even thought of it and um but yeah it's a good good sort of uh yeah through line um all right plot 180 is the next one So this is a song. Is it? That's about <laughs> all I can say about it. Um, I was listening to it earlier, and it gave me like little bits of hints of like the uh, Daft Punk Tron Legacy soundtrack. But other than that, mm, about good. all I can say is that it's a song. <laughs> if, if you if you're playing one of those games, I can name that U two song in yeah. three notes. You would hear the entirety of this song, and unless you know, you know, it's not passengers. But you know, I, I mean, the only reason you know that this is uh, plot one eighty is because we're at song number twelve on the album, and that's plot one eighty. <laughs> yes. Well, I think uh, one thing about this song is it kind of dates itself as well. That kind of echoey guitar just feels so much like mid nineties or even earlier. And uh, of all the songs on the album, which could be kind of be a little bit more timeless, this one definitely those effects just feel like in the in the time. I I will say it is the song that most viably could function as just a soundtrack back song. Um, it it would just be like mood for a scene. It's I mean in that way it's probably the most honest to the soundtrack. But I mean, it's in my opinion the most forgettable song you two have ever released. Yeah, I, I always when it when I play it, and I don't know if you can I don't know if I can talk while you're playing it. Well, I guess you could. But I was, you know, when it comes on and I'm and I'm in the car or whatever, I'll just play a little game while it's playing and I'll just do like, you know, tonight on NPR we'll talk about the elections that were just held in Botswana. And we'll also talk to Terrence Malik about his new show on the Food Network tonight on National Public Radio. I just I'll see how long I could go with that as background noise because it sounds so appropriate for that sort of thing. <laughs> You know, I think this is going to see a resurgence in YouTube fandom just for that fact. We need to start like a new challenge. Like, <laughs> your YouTube plot 180 uh, uh, ramble. How, how long can you do an NPR freestyle over what plot 180? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good challenge. I Any movie yeah, with 180 know. plots is a problem, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I always thought it was like a criminal plot where, like, all right, we've tried 179 plots. And none of them worked. This is the 180th plot. We're going to rob the bank this time. It's like ocean. I don't want you to read it, Steve. The the liner notes for that one, but <laughs> we're going to move on to a theme from this one. Glad you found the most upbeat part of the song. <laughs> I was in a bit of a rush picking the samples, so. But like uh, Turopa says in the chat room, the cello on the theme from Swan gets me every time. So much soul. So 
There's at least one one person who appreciate it. So I I don't know if this song works well as a U2 song, but I think it works really well as a song. Um, it's I lo- so there's this detail. If you turn it up loud, you can hear a dog barking at the start, and you can you can continue to hear the dog in the background just barking. Really? And in that way, I mean it it, it kind of. It feels like completely removed from a U2 song. It feels just like someone who is playing a cello, just recording it, and they haven't removed the dog from the background or the rain that's coming down. I know the rain is an effect, but it still feels like it's raining, and there's just a dog barking in the background, and someone is playing the cello, or maybe there's a couple people playing their instruments. Um, I like it as a song. I don't know how I feel about it as a U2 song, but just as a song... I think it's just this really nice, chill, soothing cello track. And I, to be perfectly frank, I don't even know if it's a real cello. It might just be like a synth cello or something. But yeah, I, I like it as a song. I don't know how it works as a U2 song. That's what, I'm, Now I want to go back and actually listen to it really loud just to hear. And I would almost be disappointed. I, I don't know which way I'd feel, I guess, if it's, if it's all fake. Like a dog is just like a dog audio clip of a dog they put intentionally there or if it was actually like a cello they recorded really beautifully and then afterwards you know it was like oh shoot there's a dog in the <laughs> i can't edit it out what are we gonna do and last minute bono's like just print it or whatever but uh yeah. <laughs> it's- for me going back to japan it just reminds me of like an open japanese house because i mean at least in the western stereotype we have an idea of them having houses with very thin walls like paper walls and they just have a door open and someone is just playing a cello in a like a nice origami slash finely written penmanship room. And you can hear a dog barking in the background and someone's just playing a cello. Yeah. So it's a song. It's a song. There's, not, there's nothing in the liner notes about the, uh, you know, the cello stuff on this. <laughs> Don't mention the dog's name or anything. No. <laughs> dog, <laughs> dog courtesy of Island records. <laughs> <laughs> I still say that sound at the beginning is is uh, is not rain but jiffy pop. I'm I'm standing by that. Just, that's what it sounds like to me. That just but. means that just means they know some really good foley artists. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure the dogs did not have their lyrics set up in advance. They were just told to improvise on the spot, and the dog just started barking. I challenge this. Sounds like something maybe for Sherry, but like a, a challenge of asking if she's ever asking you to anything whether it's Jiffy Pop or Rain at the beginning of Theme from the Swan, but maybe some fan will well, pick up that These are movies. Challenge. You got to have your popcorn. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly. right. You got to have your rain. There's the popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we enter hour two of the podcast, let's uh, end with uh, Theme from Let's Go Native. So in my opinion, I think both theme from the swan and theme from let's go native work better titled the swan and let's go native. I like the beat of that song. And other than that, again, it's just a song. Um, Quick, quick vote. Does anybody understand what Bono is saying? I think he's saying real love, but yeah. Uh, Any other? No, 
No All idea. Right. Yeah. Is, is there is there an official answer to this? Do we have a um, lyrics up on on YouTube.com under lyrics? It just says instrumental. I'm pretty sure. No, it, it definitely says real love. If it doesn't, I fall I fall down on the job. Okay. <laughs> if it doesn't, uh, by the end of the podcast, Ian will have changed. Oh my so, gosh! Yes. It's instrumental. You're right. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> I have a weird, weird connection with this song. Um, many years ago, I was at a U2-themed uh, summer party where we played all kinds of different U2-themed games. And one of the games we played was U2 Pictionary, where you pulled out a <laughs> card with the name of a song, and you had a minute to draw something. To And, you know, some of these songs, um, you know, you can get. I pulled it out and read... Let's go native. <laughs> <laughs> How do you convey this? Did you have so, to get the theme so, from at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the way that the way that I, I I almost got that the way that I did this was I drew a picture of a train, then I drew a picture of a person on the train, and I drew an arrow to it, and eventually people got that I was talking about passengers. Then I went and drew a picture of a CD or a vinyl. And I went to, actually, I did see it was a CD. And I went to point it to the outer rim of it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> said, oh, yeah. It's the, and basically, we got as far as it's the last song on Passengers. That's that was sort of I ran out. <laughs> that was the most evil, evil, um, uh, you know, Pictionary clue I've ever been given, ever. I so want to play that now. That's yeah, that's a good game. Um, I have one quick note on this song. Just that of all the songs on the album, this one sounds the most like uh, like an unfinished cut from the Octane Baby sessions. Just the way it starts, the drums at the beginning. I know somebody else mentioned that earlier, but that's kind of my one comment on this album. It feels like they just didn't they 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 created the first four bars and then that's all they did. Mm-hmm. There is a fun little uh, edge echoey lick or whatever in there that kind of just bounces along with the, the bass and drums. It's kind of a fun thing. But yeah, like you said, it's it's sort of unfinished. Um, definitely obviously didn't end up on a, I was going to say, didn't end up on a real U2 album, but uh, I don't want to f- have the wrath of Ian. <laughs> so um, it ended up in Passengers. Well, ha- has anybody else ever heard this uh, used in, in a sporting uh, situation like sporting event like I've heard this used as background noise during uh, like basketball games when you know during an intermission or just huh. before a commercial break oh, I've really? heard this used yeah. like on TV or on just yeah. at the stadium oh. uh, I think both if I remember correctly I mean, uh, yeah. but I've definitely heard it used in that in that situation I think I think a decent number of the songs on this album get used in that way. If you if you have a U two fan who works for some uh, broadcasting, you know they they know full well that they cannot get away with putting a mainstream U two. Everybody's like, oh yeah, U two fan, you're putting a U two song in the middle of this ESPN production, but they sneak a passengers one in there. No who's going to know? Mm-hmm. They give a U two fan a mic. <laughs> it's actually Ian running around all the stadiums secretly. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of I've that never, uh, Queen song, I will say I've never heard it played on a um, uh, um, on the organ at a uh, <laughs> ice hockey or you know baseball game. Though. <laughs> oh, it it was me playing the organ in all of the Your Blue Room songs. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, in, I don't know if I think we sort of said it throughout, but in answer to Pop Mart 19 underscore 1997's question, what's your favorite track on the album that is not Miss Serio or Your Blue Room? We'll go around uh, my, uh, starting with Eric, I guess, <laughs> whatever direction that happens to be. <laughs> Okay, I think probably just because it's the one that stuck with me the most from when I first listened to it was a different kind of blue. It's so simple, but I would I'll say that. And Ian to my right, Slug, Slug, Steve. I'd say Slug as well. Oh, Slug's been taken. So you have, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Colin>. <laughs> it's a draw. Well, then plot one eighty then. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Uh, since slug has been taken, I'll say, uh, <laughs> no, uh, one minute warning. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, like I said, Elvis city America definitely was my most played track. I don't know if it's my favorite. I think I'll call it my favorite. So, um, all right. Well, that has been passengers. So hopefully the passengers fans out there have been satiated and satisfied <sighs> with the, <laughs> there's Ian's Luciano Pavarotti moment of this podcast. And, uh, we will be, uh, discussing we're, we're we've got a um uh, well no i'm not gonna we're not gonna reveal it yet we're not ready to talk about what we're doing next Can i just but, share one quick thought yes um, before we finish on passengers i just i i i love that it's these guys with pure freedom and i just was thinking if they were to revisit again today how fun that would be um and i was thinking they it would sound a lot like else I, I would hope it would sound like a lcd sound system album with kind of that electronic feel so that's that would that would be my prediction for what a U2 Passengers album would sound like today. Well, I yeah. love this bit on the album. I'm not sure if you can see this here. The sticker that they went and put. It's not there. You go. Yeah, the sticker that they had to put on the um, album because it was positioned in the U the under U in the um, album section of the record stores, but they had to put a little sticker on there just so that you knew that it was a U2 album and it wasn't you know, misplaced. So lastly, can we take a vote of all people attending here? Is this a U- real U2 album? <laughs> hands up. I'm going to throw my hands up. Hands I think up. you've convinced me. Yeah. All right. Oh. Majority already. Eric's the holdout? I'm in. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say the pen. There's no way a biased audience here. <laughs> yeah. Of all the at U2 staff who wanted to do it, <laughs> talk about passengers. Exactly. And they had to find brand new people to do the podcast. <laughs> so you guys your job is done you're now fired from uh, you too we just needed some passengers yeah <laughs> all right uh, and speaking of that so uh, where can folks uh, find you on the internets if they want to argue about passengers uh eric we'll start with you again on twitter or wherever you happen to live yeah you can find me on twitter at eric bob g nice and ian ian p ryan and steve at Caleb U2. And Colin, where are you? At Colin underscore Suter. And I'm I, Chris. Uh, you can follow the uh, Facebook or like us on Facebook, I guess, facebook.com slash atu2com, twitter.com slash atu2, and uh, previous episodes of this podcast can be found at goodstuff.fm slash atu2. If you're curious about the video version, uh, we record it live uh, sometimes <laughs> on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, just somewhere in there. You can follow the Twitter account uh, to get details of when it happens live, and then it will be posted to both the Good Stuff YouTube channel and the at uh, u2 channel. However, uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, Universal Music will probably slap us with some sort of warning and they may either let us play it through or they'll just like scramble the YouTube clips that you hear um, 
uh, when you record live and in just the audio version. So you can check that out. We'll tweet out links and all that kind of stuff, of course, uh, so you can find us. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you guys for joining me for Passengers. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.